0: Tennis fans and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. We are the official podcast of Tennis Canada and members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis alongside Mike McIntyre and our Grand Slam season is done, but the tennis calendar continues with some big ATP events now on the horizon and the WTA's Ostrava Open now in the books as well.
1: And uh, joining us this week is one of our good friends on the podcast and someone who uh, always gets to banter with your favorite players with her up-close access. Uh, Blair Henley, welcome back to Matchpoint Canada.
2: Thanks, you too. Good to be here.
1: Uh, we were just talking about, before we hit record here, how it's, uh, it's been a year, remarkably, since we've had you on the podcast. And you were saying, it's hard to tell anymore, really, with time, how, how long things have been, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean gosh, a lot has happened between uh last October October 2019 and October 2020. Um lots of life lessons hopefully learned, character has been built and uh here we are.
1: And and last year when we spoke to you you were on a vacation without the kids around, which seems like such a foreign concept right now like I can't even dream of a night away from my kids and and I get excited about a grocery shopping trip because that's like the only time I can have to myself. So, And not only in our personal lives have things changed so much, but normally this is the time of the year when we're all getting a little bit, uh, I mean, players, media members, even fans alike, getting a little tired of the length of the season, the grueling season that never seems to end. Uh, It's it's so different this year, um, isn't it really?
2: Sure is. I mean, last year at this time, I was getting ready to. I was. I had just found out that I was going to be going to the the ATP Finals last year, Uh, and uh, you know, this year travel is is just a a nightmare. And um, so they're just hiring within the UK for the ATP Finals this year, understandably. Um, But gosh, I mean, so much has happened, and yes, like I, I have this feeling of okay, what's next? I was looking. Are there any more WTA events after Ostrava had ended? I think. Linz, I think, right. is happening. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I think that's that's it. Um, I know a lot of players have already sort of called it on their season. So yeah, normally at this time we're thinking like you're like limping to the finish line and this year you're like, Oh, no, no off season. We've had too much of that already. It's it's just a, it's been a bizarre year that's for sure
1: so how has this pandemic affected you then both like you know personally how are you doing how's the fam doing and professionally you know the impact on on your work as a as a tennis uh, analyst and and host
2: well thank you for asking first of all um if we if we had an unlimited amount of time i'd want to check in uh, on both of you in (laughs) in the same way because it really has you know i think everyone you talked to and i did was lucky enough to do some Interviews during the tour layoff this summer through the Hall of Fame and and that was always sort of the first question of every interview is like How are you? Uh, Because it really has affected everyone differently, but I have been very blessed and fortunate Um, You know, we're we're pulling through here in in Texas. The kids are back in school I was able to do some work this summer and then I was able to go work in New York. So, I mean, I have a lot to be thankful for. I have another income in the house, um, you know, a lot to be thankful for, but just even looking toward 2021, I don't know what that's gonna look like either. I think I think in our minds, it's been like, just get through 2020, but 2021, I don't know, um, you know, I, I'm not known for being the most optimistic, but I'm trying to have some some hope and um, put a smile on my face thinking about next year. But I think there are just a lot of question marks
0: yeah certainly so many unknowns and um such a different tennis season even in the sense that when we did return after six and a half months because it felt like we you know had back-to-back grand slams really u.s open and then you turn the corner immediately and we're in a very odd like mid-fall clay court season all felt very bizarre but um just your impression of the uh, U.S. Open and, and the French Open. Um, what did you take from those first two major events and uh, any surprises, I, I guess I should ask?
2: I mean, I found it fascinating uh, being on the ground for Cincinnati and the U.S. Open, even though there were a couple of events uh, on the women's side before that, uh, it was just so interesting to sort of see the mindset of the players we got to talk to a lot more players uh, leading into Cincinnati than we normally would have just because there wasn't a lot of media there so we had three media days in a row I think we had over 40 players uh, sort of cycle through so it was it was just sort of interesting to see the mindset uh, everybody was really excited I think there was a thankfulness that You know, obviously I said that I have that in my own life, but I think we think of of professional athletes as maybe sort of in a different category in that department. But I think at the very basic level, everyone was just really happy to be playing tennis. Um, And I was certainly happy to be working at a tennis event. But yeah, I mean, gosh, on the women's side, watching Victoria Azarenka was a highlight for me. And I, I strangely, weirdly ended up doing like five interviews with her over the course of Cincinnati and the U.S. Open. So within, I mean, it ended up being within about 10 days. Um, I did about you're, you're
1: the good luck charm.
2: Well, uh. I don't know about that, but it was <laughs> fun. on the fifth one. I'm walking up for the post-match and she's like, what do you have for me today? You have some different questions. Like, what do you got? <laughs> yeah. um, so I really, really enjoyed uh, watching that story play out. Obviously, Naomi Osaka for... A number of reasons her tennis was fun to watch but so much happening off the court as well and sort of seeing her come into her own um french open iga Swiatek, what a story that was um jen brady is another one who i really loved watching on the women's side um actually side note get to do a profile on her for tennis magazine for i believe it's the january february issue of tennis magazine so i'll be talking to her this week after just an incredible year so fun to watch that on the women's side. I love watching Andre Rublev on the men's side. He's been a highlight for me all year and I I was talking to my dad actually who watches a lot of tennis. He's a tennis pro, so kind of grew up in that. He he spends a lot of time now watching. And he was like, "You know, I just can't quite, you know, get on board. It just doesn't seem like there's there's much there. His tennis is great, but kind of looking for like the hook." And I said, "Just get just give him time because I have found him so enjoyable in person as well, um, and talk about love of tennis. He talked uh, last summer in Cincinnati about when his back was injured. I mean, like, he he almost got emotional talking about not being able to go play tennis. And same thing when we, when he sat down for media day in New York, and he was talking about those seven six and a half seven months off and just saying you know every day I would wake up just is it over yet like do I get to do I get to play competitive tennis again so I think hearing that love of the game from him and then watching it play out and watching him have the success that he's had has been interesting to watch uh I loved the Zverev team final I I may be in the minority there but I loved it um I thought the interpersonal psychological dynamic there was was so much fun, and I think also hashtag relatable. Yeah,
1: <laughs> there was no shortage of, of drama in that one. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, totally. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, Diego, Yannick Sinner, Hugo bear there. There's, I feel like there's a lot to be excited about. Um, which is why I sure hope that we can get back to slightly more normalcy in in 2021. Cautiously optimistic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hopeful just for a more typical schedule, I suppose. Um glad you brought up Andre Rublev. He would probably be my choice for like best season of the year outside of a big three player. He's he's been phenomenal. Just just last week we saw Denis Shapovalov, one of our one of our favorite Canadians, push him in a tough three setter, but Rublev went on to win that match. Um just from your vantage point of watching some of uh the Canadians, of course, Dennis had a nice quarterfinal run at the US Open. Felix made the round of sixteen. Um, who has maybe impressed you from uh, the Canadian group and who has maybe not impressed you as much, I suppose.
2: Well, I mean, first off, let's rewind to Cincy. I did okay. not see Milosh having yep. the run that he did there. Um, mm-hmm. So props to him. Uh, we got to admire the hair for more <laughs> matches than, than maybe I thought.
1: And it's still growing.
2: I love it. He is, I mean, it's. he's reinvented his look once again. I, I'm a huge, huge fan of that. So that was fun to watch. Dennis, I mean, gosh, I feel like he, I, I almost actually feel like he hasn't put it all together yet. Like I feel like he's played, he's had these moments where it's been like, wow, so much fun to watch, so athletic, uh, so much talent. And yet and you know a top 10 debut and yet I still feel like he hasn't totally found it all happening at the same time for multiple matches in a row. so I think that's a good thing to say that he's had the year that he's had and, and yet I still think and, and maybe it's a mental thing but just you know obviously he had a tough a tough loss today. it was some of that affected by knowing that he had a shot to get into the ATP you know that he he I think he was still on the border of maybe qualifying for the ATP finals. I don't know all the qualifying scenarios, but yeah. So again, like when it, when it gets close, I would love to see him. He's got swag, but I want, I just want to see it just, just click on, on maybe one level higher. It's tough to put into words. I don't know. Do you guys know, kind of know what I'm talking about here? Oh, totally.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I would describe it as like, yeah, he's he sometimes struggles to find that proper comfort zone where he's just staying kind of a, at a consistent, solid level throughout a match. He has way too many highs and lows, and I think he's trying to find that middle spot where he just has to be steady and, you know, comfortably beat the players he should beat. And unfortunately, if you're talking about what happened in Vienna, um, Dennis Akala... Uh, a player of his caliber, we probably shouldn't expect to lose to a an Austrian wildcard player who who most people don't know. But uh, yeah, that has been kind of the, the low points and the high points. And it, it's weird to be critical of a player who made his first quarterfinal of a major, you know, just like a month or so ago at the U.S. Open. So it's a tough balancing act, I think, for him. Yeah, and it's hard.
1: It's hard to you know find that consistency when you're always riding the night train, like Dennis. You know, to you know <laughs> you don't want to talk about swag. Anyone who's going to put out their own rap album. Is, uh, has definitely got an abundance of swag. and
2: There you go. You, I just you, you played a part in place.
1: that in the beginning, and you know that.
2: <laughs> I want to give a shout out to The Seven Train. Uh, the Seven Train, and then there's, um, there's one more, and I'm forgetting what it is, that runs behind uh, Louis Armstrong Stadium, because it gave me the opportunity to say, Dennis there is a literal night train running by the park <laughs> tonight, which I mean, certain New York served it up on a silver platter for me, yeah. uh, which I appreciated. But yes, all that to say, I think it's positive. I think Dennis just, he has to sort of find that zone that's within himself. Um, like you said, so it's not, the, the, high, the highs aren't quite so high and the lows aren't quite so low. Um, but I think great things uh, coming there. I, I sure hope Bianca can, I don't know. I mean, gosh, the body. I just I I feel so bad for players who are just injury prone. Um I was lucky enough when I was playing tennis. I never really experienced that to sort of have like a chronic injury or where things just sort of keep breaking down and man, it stinks because I would just love to see her back on the court. But uh, in the meantime, Layla Fernandez, I- I'm on the Layla train for sure. Um, I actually looked up before coming on with you guys because I knew I was, I was gonna want to know, but she's 88 now and she was 209 to start the year. That's, that's yeah. a pretty good 2020 given that you didn't play for six and a half, seven months of that. Absolutely.
1: And and you profiled her as well in, in Tennis Magazine uh, earlier this uh, this summer, I want to say. And I was, as I'm flipping through my subscription, I'm always happy to see, first of all, Canadian content. And there's been more and more of that these past couple of years. And then to see something written by you as well. I'm like, well, this is just bringing two great things together, right? So, so that was her. nice. She was
2: delightful. I mean, you guys, I know you guys have, have talked to her more than once. But I know at least once that I saw Yeah,
0: several her. times, yep.
2: Yeah, I mean she she just seems to have a really good head on her shoulders and she seems to be an exceptionally hard worker. Um, I know obviously to get to the top of any sport you have to have you have to have a good work work ethic to some extent but she just seems so focused. Uh, kind of the polar opposite of of and I don't mean this necessarily in a negative way but what we we're just talking about with Dennis where you, where you're like riding the roller coaster with him. Right. Layla just has sort of the calm seas approach um, which is really amazing to watch especially for an athlete that's so young and experiencing so much of this for the first time.
1: That's funny I mean we're we're really blessed in Canada with how things have been progressing the past few years and it's been great for Ben and I obviously selfishly as well so much Canadian content to talk about at a high level and I was just thinking like today was supposed to be the start of the Tevlin Challenger here in Toronto which is like a 60k you know smaller event and 2 years ago in 2018 Bianca Andreescu was playing and made the semifinals and then look at what happened to her in 2019 and and then a year ago we were talking to Layla Annie who was playing again here in Toronto with the Tevlin and then look at what happened to her this year in 2020 so i think we're missing that springboard i don't know who was going to come up next you know in line but uh,
2: i know i know that's a, that's such a bummer but if if anything i think this year has shown players you know who are maybe in the 200, 300 range, haven't really made the big breakthrough that, I mean, it's, it could be one match one week away. Yeah. That's the beauty of tennis. That's what I love so much about it.
1: Absolutely. It's been highly entertaining for us. And, and on the topic of entertainment, and on the topic of Dennis Shapovalov, he kind of got into it this week on Twitter with uh, with David Law about sort of that balance between entertainment and and fairness to the players. And specifically, it was after David had suggested, you know, maybe we're better off without, you know, with less technology and less Hawkeye because it creates so much drama and excitement for those who are watching. And, you know, I can't debate that, but you could also have the players call their own lines and that would be super exciting too. Doesn't mean it's <laughs> it's the right thing to do, but... Dennis definitely got into it and pointed out hey for those of us playing and grinding it out week after week this is our livelihood and and where do you see that sort of line between entertainment and and fairness when when applying the rules but also wanting to market the sport to to a growing audience
2: I I have a smile on my face right now because I love that Dennis jumped in um I, I again I feel like why not have have an opinion and go for it and it was a it was a little, he was a little testy, but it was a mostly sort of respectful back and forth. Um, and I love that we're discussing it because again, and this kind of goes to, to David's point, we probably would not be having this conversation if that incident with uh, Karen Hachinnov hadn't happened. I think the ideal mix is is what we have is the mix of hopefully the tournament can afford to have. Hawkeye or electronic line calling in whatever form that, uh, you know, Fox 10, whatever form it is going forward. And I also think it's nice to have the human element of lines people. So I think ideally that the combo is good because, gosh, I remember, I mean, I didn't play with nearly the stakes that these players are playing but when you are out on the court and a call, and you know the call was bad. I mean, I, I I've seen some real egregious ones. Growing up in South Florida, college tennis. That was before they had chair umpires in every court. I mean, it, it's I've seen some rough ones. I've been on the receiving end of some rough ones, and there is no worse or more hopeless feeling than being out there thinking, did anyone did anyone just see that? And there's no recourse. What are you gonna do? And you want to stand up for yourself. Your coach, then, if your coach is around in, in college tennis, often they will, you know, try to flag down. You know, if you have a roving a roving umpire somewhere, but you, you you want to stand up for yourself. You don't want to get too upset because you don't want that to carry over into the points and games to come. But it's a terrible feeling, um, and so I I can I can relate to what Dennis is talking about when you know that there are thousands of dollars and points on the line and that not only has the effect that it does in in losing the point but then there's the psychological aspect as well i i feel this pain there at like my very core and can think back to some i mean y'all i I feel like i'm a pretty i like to think that i'm kind of like a layla annie in my everyday life
1: (laughs) the impression I get
2: Nothing yeah. flipped my switch quicker than when I felt like somebody was making dishonest line calls or if, a, if, a, if an official, a roving official, or even a chair umpire, fire, you know, missed it. Uh, there's, there, it's just, there's no worse feeling. So I think ideally we would have a combination of both, but I think it'll just, I really think especially now after the year that we've had, it's just going to come down to economics. I, I think with Fox 10 now sort of competing more with Hawkeye last year. I was in Newport; they had Fox 10 for the first year. With that com- the the uh, competition, I, I imagine that if economics plays out, it, the pricing will stay where it is. If not, if not, come down a bit with a little bit of competition in that department. Um, and it's I think it's just going to depend on what's cheaper for the tournaments. Is it is it less expensive to bring in the lines people and feed them and, and house them for the week or is it cheaper to have the electronic line calling and I think that's probably what it's what it's going to come down to in the end
1: I guess they do have to eat though don't they
2: they do have to eat <laughs> and and I by the way those are a lot of jobs too like I hate with all yeah, the discussion that has happened over this over I mean gosh at the US Open and I'm so much talk and I have gotten to know it's one of been one of the perks of my job I have gotten to know so many officials and this is for a lot of them their their career I think people have this thought that like they like do it on the side and some do some have day jobs but for a lot of them that is like what they do and so I you know obviously from from that perspective I would hate to see hate to see that go away
1: your uh, your emotionally fueled response there about line calls had me think to something that I haven't thought about in a long time and and Ben then you can take the next one here but I didn't play tennis nearly at your level and I'm not nearly as good as, as Ben either but uh, I did get robbed in my high school tennis tryouts in grade 11 <laughs> where the tryouts were. this is in Montreal and it was a little bit colder so we were doing tryouts in the gymnasium at my high school indoors where, you know, you got the basketball lines, the volleyball lines, like all of those lines. And my opponent, I kid you not, turned out to be colorblind. And so oh. I don't know what lines he was calling, but it wasn't the <laughs> tennis lines and there was nothing you could do about it. And I lost my spot that year. And, and that was like the pinnacle of my tennis. You know, that could have been the highlight for me there.
2: Mike, that is, yeah, that, that'll stick with you. Uh, I mean, I, it, well, it's funny as, as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking of one particular college dual match against long beach state, where we had two banks of three courts. They're supposed, you're supposed to have each school was supposed to hire two roving umpires and they only had one. So one guy to sort of supervise six singles courts and there was cheating happening on every single court. It's a night match. There's no one there. Like it's not like we had fan noise. And at one point, one of my teammates still great friends this day, screams from the court behind me you're such an effing cheater (laughs) and and it was like that moment that i that i feel like that's what dennis is talking about like when you're in that situation it's awful so i would do not think we need to go backwards in terms of no electronic line calling in that department i i I can't for, for the players mental health i don't think we do
0: yeah, I, <laughs> Mike, your your memories that haunt you are from high school. I mean, I have bad calls from like a month ago at a tournament that I'm <laughs> true, still true. I'm still trying to get over here. Um, and certainly for poor Dennis Shapovalov, uh, he was uh, victimized by that bad call at the French Open, and uh, of course, feels very passionate on the issue. You know, sharing sharing the Hawkeye image on Twitter like later in that day. So, um, I I think he's right in this argument that that it is like you know the stakes are really high. Like we feel silly about getting mad over line calls you know the stakes are nothing for me i am playing like 5.0 tournaments this is atp wta level so um i i totally side with dennis in in that argument um just moving on to to what we have this week blair vienna open underway and it's it's an atp 500 novak of course world number one the top seed here and uh, he said ahead of this draw um this is like the most stacked atp 500 he thinks he 's ever seen um, would you agree, and uh, who are you kind of looking at to maybe make a push towards a title this week because there is still like plenty on the line as we wind down this 2020 season
2: totally i'm actually opening the draw as we speak, um, yeah. just because I want to take a look. I had heard that it was that it was stacked, uh, which any tournament is going to be, and I think we're going to see that even into uh, 2021 I, I have worked Delray Beach the past several years. And and I don't know, I have no idea even what's going to happen in February. But I think, I mean, it's an ATP 250. I would not be surprised if we were seeing uh, draws, I don't know if exactly like this, but if we see some really stacked 250s as well. Yeah, no um, doubt. But yeah, gosh, that's, uh, <laughs> I, I, would, I would have to agree with them. No, no simple matches and any player will tell you no match is easy. They could, they could win a match 6-0, 6-0 and and lose five points and tell me it really wasn't easy today. Um, No, we we all know what they mean, of course, Um, but you have to get out there and do your thing. But yeah, this, this this is a tough one. And Felix and Vashik, man. Just yeah, we, we,
0: hate, we hate these draws. We, we can't stand them. And especially the fact that, that Dennis is already out. Uh, we feel like we go, I mean, maybe not so much this year because we missed over six months of tennis, but we feel like the tennis gods do not shine so bright sometimes on uh, Canadians, forcing them to play one another early in draws. Uh, but this is the reality. And I, I feel like Bashik was playing Felix like three, four
1: times last year. Yeah, and they're such good buddies too. Those two guys, right? That's true. That's true.
2: No, that, by the way, Vashik was another player uh, who I, I mean, he ended up playing a couple of his matches on Armstrong, which is where I was stationed for most of the U.S. Open. I was, I didn't really see that coming either. In particular, no. because there were so many off-court distractions. He and Novak, I gotta say, masters of compartmentalization, because <laughs> there was a lot going on outside of the tennis. Uh, during that period of time.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, it, it is a totally sack draw on um, the ATP side for the 500 in Vienna. Things have quieted down on the women's side. Um, but just sort of recapping what we have seen, you, you know, you mentioned Igus Fiontek and this breakthrough performance. We kind of debated this, like, after the French Open, her winning her first Grand Slam title. We're trying to, like, look back at moments where did we ever foresee – Iga is the next player to win a Grand Slam. Was she at all like on on your radar before she pulled this off?
2: She was definitely on my radar as as sort of like a fun, cool, young player to watch. Um, I'll tell you the first time I actually met her uh, because it'll stick with me now, probably even more because she's done so well. But in Cincinnati last year, the players so one of the big sponsors there it 's a cheese sponsor uh, i'm i 'm not, not going to go right. into the detail i 'm sure you 've been looking up but they so the players had to come to the booth and do some cheese testing and then Something
1: cheesy
2: <laughs> right uh, and then we did like a five question uh, social interview for their social media they gave me the questions and one of the questions um that i had to ask to both iga and andre rublev was french kiss or french cheese (laughs) and y'all i'm not gonna lie i don't know who turned and and to be honest like i probably could have said to the sponsor like in hindsight, I probably should have said to the sponsor, like, maybe this is, like, not one that <laughs> that we asked. They both, I believe, answered French cheese. Okay. Um, but, yeah, no. But Iga handled that interview, as did Andre. Like, total champs. Um, just took it in stride. And we're like, yeah, these are, these are weird questions. <laughs> but we're just going to go with it. Uh, which I really appreciated with both of them. So that was sort of my first interaction with her. And I was like, she really handled that really, really well. Uh, And then watching her play. I am so fascinated by her game because if I saw her forehand in a vacuum, I would not think that she has the capability to play with the variety that she does Um, with, with that grip and sort of the way that she whips it around. That, by the way, for any recreational players watching (laughs) that is not what I would recommend uh, if you're going to go out on the court and, and try to learn how to hit a forehand but that I think speaks to her incredible talent level and she gets so much spin and so much power on it but she also has the variety as well which is so refreshing and and fun and interesting to watch and I think uh I'm trying to remember Andy Roddick in an interview that I did with him this summer for the hall of fame told me that like one of his favorite players to watch was Bianca Andreescu. And he said that because he said, it doesn't matter who you are, if you love tennis or if you've never watched tennis before, when you watch her play, there's like a feeling you get of like, wow, there's that wow factor. And I feel like Iga has a little bit of that as well. There's just kind of the creativity in the way that she plays. That's just a lot of fun.
1: I love the questions that you get to ask some of these players and how you get to just, you know, break down those barriers with them. And this is why we have you on the podcast as often as, as we can. I know it hasn't been as often lately, but it's because of these insider scoops that, uh, you know, French kiss yeah. or French cheese. I
0: just, want, I just want to clarify. So what we took from that was her poise handling the cheese questions told you
1: she was going to be a future Grand Slam champion.
2: I knew it at that exact moment. <laughs> right. Yes, I did.
1: Okay. And, and you know what? That that mental fortitude, I was going to segue somehow over to that. But uh, for her, she's one of these, uh, these players that seems, you know, we're hearing this more and more often these days who are employing the use of uh, sports psychologists to, you know, mentally prepare, visualize. And it's just funny to me, like, tennis has always been a sport where anyone would admit you got to have nerves and you got to be able to handle the stress and you're out there on your own. It, it would be almost like a foregone conclusion. You should be employing a sports psychologist on your team. And yet this seems like somewhat of a new thing that we're hearing from the Biancas and the, the egos of the world. eh?
2: Yeah. And the, and the Dennis's of the world. Yeah. It was interesting to sort of hear from, from Dennis at the U S open as I was watching him. It was very Milo's esque, by the way, what he was doing on the, on the changeovers with the eyes closed. There may have, I don't know if there was tapping on the knees, but I was having Milo's flashbacks watching him uh <laughs> us open but yeah i mean i think the more we talk about it the more normal it's going to be and not only the more normal the more people are going to be like well why don't i have that like let's let's do we have the budget let's let's get (laughs) one let's get one on board i mean i hope it becomes the norm um and granted for some players i think there are personalities where thinking really at all, any extra than you absolutely have to on the court is not necessarily a positive. So I, I do think there are certain personalities where maybe that is not going to be as helpful. But I think for most of us, I mean, <laughs> I'd love to have one like in my everyday life.
1: Everyday I, life. Absolutely. Yeah. So true. I, could, I could use one, especially with with COVID and everything that we're going through. So exactly. why not? I don't think it's in my budget, though.
0: not quite in the podcast budget yet maybe one day Um, last question Blair before uh, we let you go just uh, you know we were talking about next season and some of the unknowns but what are you maybe looking forward to most in in terms of storylines for for 2021?
2: uh, Well it'll be interesting to see I'm I'm curious to see what Zverev does he is an enigma to me and I I'm interested to see if you know, U.S. Open final, two Cologne titles. <laughs> where, where is this? Where is this going? And are are sort of those new faces that we saw pop up in the second half of 2020? Are we going to see more of those in 2021? You know, one of the things on the WTA side, some again, I, I, I don't want to generalize because there are obviously other examples as well. But but sometimes on the women's side, in particular mostly because we've had the big three on the men's side, but you have players who sort of have that breakthrough and then they have expectations and it's tough to, it's tough to manage the expectations. So how is Iga going to do next year? Is Mm -hmm. Naomi going to employ whatever magic she did over her time away to, to come back next year and be playing incredible tennis right off the bat That was amazing, by the way, like to, to not need any buildup that, that was one of the more fascinating things about watching tennis come back because match play It. I don't care how many practice sets you play. I don't care how many hours you practice. It is not the same. So the players who are able to sort of make that transition seamlessly, gosh, that is going to be even more valuable than it would otherwise be in this year that we've had. And then in the year to come, because Naomi won't have played since, the US Open, right? I guess that, yeah. So, so yeah, so that'll be interesting on the women's side. Uh, Like I said, on the men's side, I mean, what's Sebastian Corda going to do? Is he going to get a rematch with Rafa? Who knows? (laughs) Is Cat in person? That's going to be my new goal. If Sebastian Corda is in a tournament that I work, can we get a cat appearance? Rafa. I would love that. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be the big one for me. And also, I'm interested to see if Nick Kyrgios ever comes back to tennis. Just going to throw that out
1: there. No kidding, yeah. It it does feel like it's been a while, eh? (laughs) Forever. And hey, Blair, apart from tennis players who came back and didn't skip a beat, you were certainly, you know, from the other side of things, the media side of things, someone who was able to do that seamlessly. And we're looking forward to uh, seeing what you have in store for 2021. Where can uh, fans of your work expect to see you next when uh, things resume then?
2: Well, that's a great question, Mike. I do not know. Assuming all
1: things being equal, we have a start to the 2021 season. I'm
2: hoping I will be around in sort of the spring U.S. swing, whether that's um, Delray or Indian Wells or Miami. And Lord willing, those tournaments happen as planned and tournaments aren't in, in even more financial Stress than they are than uh than they are now. So that's that's the hope is I'll be back in the late winter early spring, um, and we can talk more then. I would love that.
1: We'll have yeah, to. We, we can't. We time. can't wait another twelve months. I'm shocked at Please how this do. happened, but we'll blame it on COVID. Okay.
2: I mean, I think we should blame it on the fact that you guys have had so many insanely good guests. In oh wow! Let's be honest. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Uh, I'm not going to deny it. We've been very fortunate to get some great guests and uh, you're just another one to to add to the equation for 2020.
2: Thanks, guys.
0: There you have it, guest and host Blair Henley. You can find her on Twitter at Blair Henley, and you can find us on Twitter as well at Matchpoint Can. We're also on Instagram under Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, he's Mike McIntyre. And Mike, we should talk, I guess, a little bit more about the Vienna Open. Um, for Novak Djokovic, I feel like there's some implications. Just like going down the final stretch of 2020, he wants to break Roger Federer's record, 310 weeks at world number one. And I just want to point out, all he has to do to secure year-end number one is win two matches here at the Earth Bank Open. And based on what we've seen from Novak's level throughout the year, it feels like an impossibility that he doesn't get this year-end number one.
1: Yeah, I mean, judging how this season has gone, it will take some sort of like internal implosion, I believe, you know, for that not to uh, not to happen. And uh, again, just, you know, 310 weeks. I mean, that's just, you know, these numbers. And there's these guys, these three guys who we've gushed over for years and will continue to do so even when their careers end, obviously. Um, in fact, when all three of their careers end, then, then we're going to talk about this even more so probably because that's when the dust will settle so to speak and we can sort of finally look back and have that comparison um at the end of the day but uh yeah it's just yet another staggering statistic and result for these guys and uh you're gonna have to do me the favor of bringing me up to date or uh you know on the exact specifics here but but so how close are they to each other and and when could this happen
0: Well, Novak, I believe right now is 288 or 289. I can't remember exactly. So we're talking about um, what, 20, 21 weeks to go. So, Realistically, you go to the end of the season. Oh, how's my math here figuring this out? That probably, <laughs> probably about nine, nine weeks left, and we'll put him close to 300. And uh, if he kind of holds his points, probably through Australia up until March Indian Wells Miami time, uh, he can break that, that record from Roger Federer.
1: Yeah, well, there's all the motivation you're, you're going to need, and uh, I know we're not going to talk about this at length here, but uh, starting to get a little bit excited about imagining the return of Roger Federer, which is, again, yeah. still, still months away, but I feel like the tour has changed considerably, um, you know, because of COVID, the pandemic, the hiatus. But also because of the rise and the uh, seizing of the opportunity of some of the young guys, uh, as we saw at the US Open with that Zverev team final, for example, with players like Rublev and Chapo and Pass continuing to take big leaps forward that uh, the tour, the ATP tour that Roger's coming back to is not the one that he left, um, you know, just, you know, a few, few months ago, really.
0: No, you're you're completely right, and uh, I mean we should point out it, it wasn't just the Novak Djokovic loss and uh, hitting the lineswoman by accident that kind of broke up the entire U.S. Open. Uh, I think a big factor in that is the fact that we don't have Roger Federer playing. Rafael Nadal, of course, skipping the U.S. Open. But even when we had periods of time of Roger Federer not winning Grand Slams, we saw very, very consistent, strong performances reaching semifinals and finals. So he is one of those gatekeepers, even when he is not winning, that was shutting out the next gen and some of these players from breaking through. I I think he's going to honestly have his hands full coming back in 2021, the way he came back in 2017 after six-month absence to win the Australian Open. I just think the way the tour is right now, the way these guys are playing, it will be like that much more difficult to pull off a feat like that.
1: And it's hard to believe that that was uh, four years ago, almost already. How yeah, the time? time where the does time the time flies, go? <laughs> right? And, <laughs> no uh, kidding. But for the present, anyways, this Vienna draw is pretty stacked. It's going to be a blast to watch, as we mentioned earlier, with Blair, Felix, and Vashik in round one, which I believe is uh, Wednesday, and uh, and then also for a, in terms of a, a title defense, right? Dominic team last year. Um, yeah, that's, in, in, that's right. In terms of defending, I mean, he starts with Nishikori, then he gets maybe Vavrinka.
0: I do have have an update uh, that Katie Shikori has pulled out, so he is getting a lucky loser in the first round. So maybe giving him a slight breather there to kind of get his feet wet in this draw, but this is going to be an incredibly difficult title defense for Dominic Team because, as we said, this is a stacked ATP 500. It wasn't the same field that he was playing last year, but I think he's incredibly motivated to win here. Novak won here 13 years ago. And as you mentioned, Felix, we should point out, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, kind of the first of two installments of tournaments in in cologne there in germany he makes a final uh reaches another semifinal, and the question's being asked when can we see faa win one of these atp titles because he's so close and then just is not getting that result that he wants in the final match
1: yeah what has that been now six finals i think that i think oh
0: and seven now
1: okay i either way uh, it's not a stat that concerns me because I like to look at the positive side of that. And I don't know if it's because I'm Canadian or just because I have huge admiration <laughs> for Felix, um, but uh, he's 20 years old. So, you know, like let's cut him some slack. And, uh, you know, certainly in, in some of the tournaments a year ago on on clay, although he is a, a strong clay court player, you know, there were also other guys that have more experience on the surface. And yeah. now, I mean, look at some of the guys he's losing to Zverev. There's no shame in losing to Alexander Zverev, you know, a Grand Slam finalist. So um, it's certainly coming. And I'd look at the flip side of that coin for anyone who's sort of questioning him and say, hey, look, he's 20 years old. It's undoubtedly going to be happening at some point. And I think once it does give him that confidence to take that next step. I mean, there's going to be tons of finals that this kid's going to be winning over the course of, you know, what's what's left to come in his career.
0: Yeah, we should point out just him flipping that switch after a disappointing clay season in the French Open, to reach a final right away in Cologne, and then get to a semifinal the following week, really losing a tight three-setter to Diego Schwartzman, who's having like probably the best season of his career. So he lost to two fantastic top-10 players. He's knocking on the door every week, and I'm fascinated to see how he plays in this ATP 500 match. I'll just point out no Rafael Nadal in this draw, um, but he will be back on the hardcourt swing at the Paris. Masters which uh, interestingly enough for him just one of two Masters 1000s he has not won he also has not won Miami so uh, and Novak will not be there so that could be uh, an opportunity for, for Nadal to just add one of these one th- Masters 1000s trophies to his uh, very vast collection you would think.
1: Do these jerks have to do it all I mean do they have <laughs> to own every single you know event right. that's out there give me a break I mean I'm going to be rooting against them just so I can say Hey, didn't get to do that. <laughs> Some,
0: somebody else win it. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. That'll come after Vienna. We should note on the WTA side, as we kind of wrap up here, Gabby Dabrowski reaching the finals of Ostrava. Great result. And she was playing uh, with Brazilian Luisa Stefani. And then, of course, lost to Arena Sabalenka and Elise Mertens. Amazing week from Sabalenka, of course, winning the singles and the doubles title back-to-back. Like, she leaves court for probably half an hour, goes back and wins the doubles crown. So, amazing week from her. A great result from Gab- Gabby, the team—they did get a walkover into the final, but uh, Dabrowski is not not playing with her usual partner here. She's kind of been jumping around. I think just finding who is available to play because she wants to get out and play doubles.
1: It's interesting in 2020 for Gabby because, like everyone on tour, you know, it's been hard to establish any rhythm, and uh, even for those playing with their regular partners. But but Gabby, in a in a compressed shortened season, has already played with five different partners this year, and don't ask me to name them all off the top of my head but uh, it's it tough to get into a real rhythm and yet she seems to have not been affected by that and she seems to be someone that can adapt her game and and play with a, a you know a, a real host of different different partners but that just impresses me even more one other thing about gabby that impresses me is her ability to play with different people and still have consistent success which is uh, which is really good
0: yeah and i, I think some of the tours realizing if they get an opportunity to play with her in doubles she is so incredibly strong at the net she is such a presence and such a force in doubles at the net that if she's joining with a singles player for example like Yelena Ostapenko that can be a really ideal combination you have that threat at the baseline from someone who's so effective there and Gabby is just like cleaning up the garbage at the net with her her her, uh, stretch and her reach overheads every type of volley Uh, so fantastic there so a great result in a final didn't get the title but uh, she has done Exceptionally well with, as you said, a host of different players, and,
1: and that's going to be one of the one of the last WTA finals we we have this year, really, because there's only so much yeah. that's left. I was looking at the WTA webpage yesterday, and I was shocked by how there's basically almost nothing except for the title or the tournament. Sorry, in in Linz, Austria, where Coco yeah. Guff, uh, had her big uh, run last year and her first title after losing in Qualies and then getting in as a lucky loser, which was such a cool story um, for her. And, uh, and, and I think what there's one other tournament in like December in France, which is almost like kicking off the next season in some ways. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, obviously the major loss here, I think is, uh, Shenzhen and not getting the WTA finals. The men's side is still fortunate. They will have the final eight play in London. Uh, but given, you know, where this, uh, where COVID-19 originated in China. Of course, the Wuhan Open was, was canceled many months ago, and that's just part of uh, a host of tournaments in the Asian hardcore swing that unfortunately just can't be played right now um, at the tail end of the year. So it is a definite loss for the WTA, especially just losing that, that final eight WTA finals. Yeah, and you know, as I'm, th- frustrating.
1: as I'm thinking about it right now, like, why couldn't they have put something together in a place where, you know, the numbers were dropping? Or were reasonable, yeah. or where precautions could have been put in place, I mean, it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of a shame that they couldn't have had some sort of year-end, you know, final for the singles and the doubles players that uh, that earned that uh, that top eight status. I feel like.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly disappointing. Um, you would think. Uh... Given the the opportunities of where players are playing kind of across the world right now, obviously different places, maybe they could have done something in a safer spot in Europe. Uh, maybe, you know, even close to Linz, like put that back-to-back or something like that. Should note a couple of the top eight, like just have not played since the return. Of course, Bianca's injured, but we haven't seen Ashley Barty at all. So
1: yeah, you, you wouldn't get the top eight. You'd get probably a mix of the top 20 in there, really. Correct. Yeah,
0: exactly. And
1: here we are saying how easy it would be to throw something like this together last minute. <laughs> Minute, yeah. but it's just uh, it's regrettable i guess
0: yeah match point canada um finals uh invitational uh, let's see who, who we can get there
1: um wild yeah. card to uh genie and, and Layla annie can we do that <laughs>
0: Yeah, I love it. Uh, And as we mentioned uh, with Blair, Tevlin Challenger would be usually happening in Toronto. Of course it can't. And as you mentioned, you know, Bianca Andreescu playing here two years ago. Leilani Fernandez was here a year ago. And just looking at that draw, we actually had some good players playing the Tevlin last year. Kristen... Kirsten Flipkins comes to mind, I think she actually won the title if i 'm if I 'm not mistaken
1: or made the finals um, or, at the very or made least.
0: the finals yeah. Yeah. yeah in Tevlin. and uh, you know she was still she 's still playing at a high level inside the top hundred right now, so it attracts good players and um, obviously, we want the Rogers Cup back next year. I would love to see the Tevlin back as well
1: yeah it 's such a fun little event towards the end of the season that uh, you could just drop in on you didn 't need tickets as a fan you didn 't need accreditation as media, you just showed up. Players were, you know, very uh, accessible and, and willing to talk. And, and you meet some players that you wouldn't at a Rogers Cup or at a bigger event. And you get to hear the stories and the struggles and the challenges. And you see the perseverance. And I love that some of the players that uh, that we've talked to on the podcast, like uh, Kennedy Schaefer comes to mind. And yep. obviously Canadians like Francoise Abanda. Um, uh, Marino was supposed to be there last year, Rebecca Marino, but hurt her foot or her ankle. But uh, players like Francoise and Leila Annie, who then, use that as a springboard um you know to to future success for the next season wanting to end their season on a high and yeah. uh, you know again unfortunate for all those players outside of the top 100 150 uh, there really wasn't a whole lot of tennis for them to play this year so we, we feel for them and um and we're looking forward to yeah as you mentioned rogers cup tevlin challenger and and just as regular a season as we can have although uh, that certainly remains to be seen still
0: yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's what we're hoping for. Fingers crossed. Uh, but the podcast will continue, uh, regardless. And we thank uh, Blair Henley, our guest this week. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We'll talk to you next time.